We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. This podcast episode is brought to you by Coors Light. These days, everything is go, go, go. It's nonstop hustle all the time. Work, friends, family expect you to be on 24-7. Well, sometimes you just need to reach for a Coors Light because it's made to chill. Coors Light is cold lagered, cold filtered, and cold packaged. It's as crisp and refreshing as the Colorado Rockies. It is literally made to chill. Coors Light is the one I choose when I need to unwind. So when you want to hit reset, reach for the beer that's made to chill. Get Coors Light in the new look delivered straight to your door with Drizzly or Instacart. Celebrate responsibly. Coors Brewing Company, Golden, Colorado. Support for this podcast comes from U.S. Bank. U.S. Bank wants to know how you reward yourself because they have cards that make every day more rewarding. Are you a points order, cashback guru, low intro APR lover? With U.S. Bank, it's up to you because they have the cards to fit your lifestyle. So earn more whether you're shopping at a gas station or grocery store, even while planning a staycation. Learn more at usbank.com slash credit card. U.S. Bank credit cards are issued by U.S. Bank National Association N.D. Some restrictions may apply. Member FDIC. Welcome in to the Rotowire NFL podcast. John McKechnie and Mario Puig back in the saddle, kicking off the offseason portion of our NFL content, keeping the feed alive during the offseason here. Obviously, the Super Bowl in the books. Now we are turning attention to the NFL draft. And specifically, we are going to be talking about receivers today because the, this upcoming class of receivers is as deep and as talented as we've seen in a long time. And I mean, last year's was great and this one probably even tops it. But uh, before we get into it, Mario, what's going on, man? Uh, nothing really. Uh, I mean, you say you're in the saddle. I'm more like caught by my ankle over the side of the horse the horse is still running and i'm just hanging dangling by my gym nebraska short stubby legs helpless <laughs> but uh you know still 
Still posting through it all the same. Got to post. Got to yeah. keep posting. Um, so we are going to kind of start from the top and work our way down as far as the receivers go. Kind of give a snapshot of each of these top uh, receiver prospects. Uh, give a breakdown. Uh, discuss that a little bit here. So I guess leading things off, I think we're both in agreement on who headlines this class. And it is splitting hairs between number one and number two. Some people have it 1A, 1B uh, type of thing. But uh, CeeDee Lamb of, of Oklahoma. Let's start there. Yeah, so this stuff is negotiable pending what kind of workout numbers we get from all these players. And so all, all we have right now to work on is production, uh, confirmed traits like, you know, production, height, reported height weights, uh, reported workout numbers. Sometimes Bruce Feldman gives us a, a bit of a scoop on that stuff even before the combine. But there's a lot of missing uh, you know, there's a lot of gaps in between, and I I don't know if there are any 40 numbers out there, uh, especially like reliable 40 numbers for guys like C.D. Lamb and Jerry Judy. So uh, I'm not trying to guess their speed so much, or or their you know verticals or whatever. And I'm more so looking at like kind of production they showed, uh, how their production compares to the baseline set by the rest of the offense that they play in, mm-hmm. and then uh, weighing that production against their age, basically, or the, the reported ages as best as we can uh, find them at this point. That's not all reported either. So we're, we're kind of going through the fog yet as much as we're, you know, giving these rankings that have clear numbers that are you know higher than the next. We're st- there's still quite a bit of uh, noise in the air. Uh, it's not all signal at this point, but at receiver, I, you know, again, not to dispute the 1A, 1B thing, but I went with C.D. Lamb as number one over Jerry Judy, uh, kind of reluctantly, because they're both in the same tier for me. They're both in the second tier. Uh, like, I have Jonathan Taylor in the first tier, and then the second tier is when everybody else gets in, and I have C.D. Lamb, Jerry Judy in the same one, the only receivers in the second tier. So, But part of it for me, the reason, I guess, that I kind of tie break toward C.D. Lamb is because I just... I, I, he's got the bigger frame by a trivial amount. Like he's listed at 6'2". Jerry Judy's listed at 6'1". Wouldn't be surprising if they officially measure in at 6'1 and 6 foot between the two of them. And CeeDee Lamb, I think, just kind of uh, has has a very complete sort of skill set. Like I, I don't know if he's as fast as Jerry Judy. Like Jerry Judy might be better on the fly routes than CeeDee Lamb. But especially if we're trying to kind of idealize and identify a wide receiver one prototype, I think Lamb is really close to it. He's with that six foot two frame. He's a little bit skinny right now, but you can easily imagine him hitting two hundred or even maybe more than that in a little bit of time. And he's already like started to add on. Like from the time he looks different now than he did as a freshman at Oklahoma, uh, for instance. And he was killer as a freshman at Oklahoma, well over ten yards yeah. a target uh, during uh, Baker Mayfield's Heisman season. So um, yeah, there, there's reason to believe that that he can continue to add on to that frame. And yeah, he does work almost exclusively outside. I think and uh, just absolutely crush it i mean this year uh going for 1327 yards and 14 touchdowns on just 94 targets uh so he continued to improve year over year at oklahoma with three different quarterbacks yeah judy and this isn't like i'm not concerned about judy by any means but it's a little bit interesting to me uh his drop off in in like production efficiency and the other teammates around him kind of catching up to him this year where like i feel like the discourse this time a year ago going into the 2019 season was Jerry Judy class of his own. Yeah. And it's still possible. He ends up there depending on what happens with the combine, I guess. But, uh, and I do expect Jerry Judy to have some kind of standout testing because he's one of those guys when you turn on the tape, 
even though you can tell he's not as fast as uh, teammate Henry Ruggs, nobody. Is. Judy seems to have kind of like the fastest feet, and and there's a chance that this is kind of just like a useless distraction, like a novel distraction. Like maybe he's moving his feet around to no particular useful outcome but the production says that it actually is helpful and you know maybe maybe even if he's kind of wasting motion with some of his foot movement maybe he'll tighten it up in the nfl and it won't go to waste and he'll just have all that explosiveness going toward his routes and and uh, you know productive ways so uh but yeah judy when you turn on the tape it's like he, his feet are just a blur uh he's very fast very quick but it's just there's something about that like short area start stop change of direction where he ste- seems to stand out uh, even more than Ruggs, who is just you know insanely fast. He's also very quick and explosive, and but the speed is like so jarring. And yet, if you were kind of imagining those th- those two running a three cone drill, it wouldn't be surprising to me if Judy had the better time in it. So it wouldn't shock me if he has something insane, like a six point five second three cone drill or something like that. Uh, and in that case, uh, you know, Jerry Judy might not have that four two or four three or whatever that rugs did but i think because judy always out always outproduced him volume wise at alabama i kind of just have to give him the benefit of the doubt over rugs and that's that's not me like being low on rugs i'm also high on him and we'll get to him in a second but for me with lamb it's just that um like you said john he improved every year and in the last two years of or his three years of oklahoma production more or less matches the production of Marquise Brown, who arrived as a junior college guy mm-hmm. and, and did not have to play with Jalen Hurts that one year. And I, I know Jalen Hurts put up big numbers, but I, I don't think he's a naturally accurate quarterback. And I, I can imagine, uh, you know, if it had been third year C.D. Lamb playing with Baker Mayfield or Kyler Murray, I can imagine his numbers being even better in the same setting than what Marquise Brown has done. But Marquise Brown has shown that, you know, Marquise Brown, like cd lamb they both put up big volume at oklahoma but they also both outproduced the baseline efficiency of their offenses so it's like marquise brown is shown more or less in my opinion anyway that he was not a product of the oklahoma system yeah and cd lamb producing the same way maybe better in age adjustment terms gives me the same you know confidence like i am not worried about this being a system player i I think he's a star nfl player so i know earlier on in the the process when you're starting to dive into all this obviously you're you're more busy with nfl stuff during the nfl season is there still the the brandon lloyd except a little like on steroids type of comp for cd lamb for you yeah and the 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 faster bigger brandon lloyd thing was uh the brandon lloyd comparison in itself was not even meant to be uh you know a a criticism or whatever because brandon lloyd dominated at illinois and he had like one 1400 yard season in the nfl Uh, he did that being a guy who was skinny and ran like a four six though i think cd lamb uh, will be less skinny you know pushing 200 pounds or so will still be faster than brandon lloyd and he also had better college production but i do imagine a similar sort of player like that kind of um, you look at him and he's he's more lanky than he is stocky and he's very acrobatic and uh, just like a kind of he's got the kind of athleticism that you can imagine him doing uh you know reverse layups 360s that kind of that kind of athleticism like of course he's fast and of course he can play football tasks but he also seems to have that innate sort of just acrobatic ability that few people do and almost no one uh as you know big and fast and productive as him does so i just see a lot of ways in a conventional offense that you can get cd lamb involved uh in a high volume role high efficiency role and 
not to take not to say like I don't with Jerry Judy. It's just I feel like there's a little bit more evidence in the case of Lamb and uh you know it, I'm totally prepared to abandon this opinion though if Lamb runs like a 454 at the combine and Judy uh weighs the same amount and runs like a 438 or something like that. Stuff like that can negotiate this for me. For sure. Um but yeah, in the meantime I'm I'm kind of going with Lamb a little bit ahead just because I I just see very few tasks that it, there's basically like no task that I wouldn't grade CD Lamb uh, plus grade for. Uh, whereas with Judy, if only for his frame, uh, it's kind of hard. It, it, it feels unfair to expect him to be better than a Calvin Ridley type. And I know he was more productive than Calvin Ridley, and I am going he, to grade he him. Kind of reminds higher. me of Calvin Ridley a little bit, but better. yeah. And I'll grade him higher, but it's like at the same time, it's like, can I really expect? Unless he's got like four three five speed or something, it's just kind of hard to reason how. Jerry Judy could be much better in the NFL than Calvin Ridley has been because Calvin Ridley's set a pretty high bar. Uh, so th- there's stuff to sort out yet. It's just like generally uh, f- to go in the top 10 of a draft at receiver, you need to get that kind of like coveted wide receiver one kind of hype. And it's harder to do that with a guy who's six foot 190 like Jerry Judy is unless he also has like top 97th percentile athleticism, which he could. It's just unconfirmed as of now. Right, exactly. And uh, I saw a funny mention on a on a tweet. Some, someone was, you know, tweeting out a cut up of, of Jerry Judy uh, the other day and <laughs> somebody just flies in and says his knees look awful. What does that I even think mean? you know. I think you know who I'm talking about, but uh, it was just like and the person responded just like what what are you talking about but jerry judy show the feet sweetie <laughs> that's for that's for his only fans all right let's move on over to uh the second tier of receivers here we're in agreement on who fits this bill but i think our orders are a little bit different but uh starting things out jalen rager of tcu yeah so uh, you'll see varying opinions on all of these guys, uh, even the last two, but also these guys coming up because Rager and Henry Ruggs and T. Higgins, those are the guys that I imagine being in this next tier. Uh, I'd also include Devin DuVernay, but I think I'm in the minority on that one slash I'm, I'm open to arguments against that. Uh, but basically, these guys, the tier that they're in, uh, they, they just fall short of that kind of easy all pro projection that i think you get with cd lamb and jerry judy and these guys you still have a lot of hope for them being all pro types of players it's just that you don't feel quite as greedy about assuming they'll definitely do it and that's because there's just some incomplete part of their profile it's like whereas lamb and judy it's exceedingly difficult to criticize them for any reason with jalen rager you at least have uh, on tape he's dropped some passes yep. uh you've got uh not great efficiency like better than the baseline of the tcu offense but jalen rager you're you're banking on the tools you're projecting on the basis of the tools and like his early career standing out at tcu where he led the team as a true freshman in receiving yardage and receiving touchdowns even though they had like a four or five receiver rotation in which everybody else who he still outproduced had a upperclassman advantage over him the true freshman and he still was better than these guys who are you know two or three years older than him uh, but he never had the volume. He never had the the shrieking efficiency production that you get with Jay Judy and CeeDee Lamb. But I think TCU's quarterbacks were so bad. And when I watched especially the, this year, and when I watched the Rager tape, even of the ones where he's dropping passes, I think you have to remember the big picture here, which is like this guy is probably exhausted and he's probably losing focus 
uh, because he's probably stressed about just, you know, knowing every single play that he's going to be expected to like bail out the offense, even though the quarterback will undermine him every single time. And that kind of stuff can just knock a player off his game a little bit because he was super efficient starting out at TCU. Like his efficiency got worse as it went on. Uh, his career went along. And when you turn on that tape, it's like he never gets to catch anything in stride. He's always having to do miraculous things just to make basic plays and, you know, forget running after the catch opportunity, forget like just dusting somebody and having a perfectly placed downfield pass to catch in stride. It just doesn't happen in his tape. So when I look at that, I try to imagine what'll happen if these passes were a little bit better. And I bet if the passes got better and if he didn't have to twist and like stop and start and, you know, panic in the middle of his routes constantly to adjust to these passes, I bet his focus would improve too. So in any case, Rager's 5'11", 195. Bruce Feldman reported that he's got sub 4'3 speed. He should murder the combine. And if he murders the combine to the kind of tune that we're expecting, it overrules any production concerns that I have. And I'm, I'm in that case more so imagining what it might have looked like in an offense that just didn't suck. Uh, it's not that different of a case to me than like Miko Hardman last year where I remember people were just – oh he only had 500 yards and i saw him drop a pass the pass sucked but he should have caught it you know that kind of stuff and it's like well imagine for once uh, for for instance imagine if this guy was i don't know in a decent offense you know what what might happen then uh and we saw what might happen then when when michael harvin got into the chiefs offense and that's the you know very best case scenario quite literally the best case scenario you can't expect that kind of uh situational improvement for a prospect but if jalen rager went to i don't know the packers or something i think i don't know i I would grade rager higher as a prospect than i would have Devontae adams back in his draft I think within like a year or two, he could be an all pro sort of receiver if he's in an offense that just throws for 4,000 or more yards in a year. Uh, so that's at least if he tests the way Feldman uh, recently reported. And when you t- look, turn on the tape with Rager, I, th- I think it makes sense that he is that athletic. It, it doesn't, it's not hard to see why he would be considered an elite prospect. We yeah, just th- turn on the tape. There's a lot of times on his tape where you just see him immediately put a defender in the spin cycle right off the line or, you know, the 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 play develops and he's several you know five ten yards of separation um away from from the cornerbacks that that are that are going against him so it's very obvious uh the athleticism both like in in the short area and the long speed that he has and like you said he the offense did him no favors as far as like a lot of the ball placement and that that sort of thing like one of his best routes against oklahoma state this past year um he completely crushed the uh cornerback still had to go come back and jump and make a very acrobatic play to get it uh, but he still made that play so I mean uh, I think that he does that while the consistency can be better like you pointed out there like this the ceiling is something that's like worth betting on yeah I definitely wouldn't say that Jalen Rager has like plus hands it's just one of those like Michael Hardman does not have plus hands no. but when you're that fast and when you're that athletic and when you're that good at running after the catch and when you're that good at uh, just winning the ball when it's in the air it's like it all works itself out such that you get more opportunities and you do more with the opportunities that you don't drop to the point that the drops don't even matter and not to even assume they're going to keep happening because again I really think that if these passes had been more on target and if he had been able to get into a rhythm as a receiver where he can have basic expectations about the ball being in a certain place at a certain time 
his mind would have had more just bandwidth to focus, you know, and it's like when there's a million things you're worried about, yeah, you might play, you might play a little more distracted than the guy who's catching passes from Tua. Sure. So, uh, I think there's a, there's a non-zero chance that I, in my opinion, that Rager is the best receiver in this draft. Uh, and in terms of size adjusted athleticism, he's almost like my early favorite. Um, but yeah, I have to assume his hands are worse than lamb Judy. I have to assume he's even a worse route runner than them. Um, but I still have a lot, maybe too much confidence in Rager. Yeah. There's a lot to like there. And, you know, dating back to, you know, his, his profile as a, as a recruit, really high four star, uh, type like top level receiver coming into TCU. And like you said, immediately dominated there as a true freshman. And, and that was with like an well. LSU, like John DeArcy or whatever. Like it wasn't just scrubs that he outplayed. It was like guys who had age advantage over him and were supposed to be decent receivers. And he immediately made them obsolete. Yeah. So impre- impressive guy. Um, take a look if you haven't yet, but there, uh, that Oklahoma state tape from, from this past year, I think is his best game. The uh, West Virginia was probably the worst one. Oh, okay. Good to know. If you want to see like his best tape or whatever yeah that, that is good to you know balance it out of course uh, let's move on over to t higgins uh out of clemson uh kind of the first big receiver uh that, that comes to mind for this year's class yeah and higgins is somebody who i am open to a range of outcomes with like when i watch the tape he, he played at least last year he played a lot in the slot and he was super productive he was super productive every year that he was at clemson um, but when you watch the tape, it's not obvious, at least it's not obvious to me, like how fast he might be or how quickly he can jump. Uh, because frankly, a lot of it just looked very easy to him. It's like when you run the slot, the college level, you're going to le- get a lot of like zone clean releases. Uh, it's harder to scheme against the slot receivers generally. And then here he is, you know, six, three at worst, six, four, perhaps listed at six, four, two fifteen. And he's going to be a standout a- athlete of some magnitude, but we don't know how much yet. Uh, the problem for me is like when I turn on the tape, I can't see him needing to cut loose ever. So I don't know what kind of gears he might have in store because uh, it was just so easy. He'd, he'd just go down the middle of the field, be taller, uh, have more leaping ability than these guys trying to keep up with them. And he just always came through. Uh, so he was super, super efficient at Clemson. I would say absolutely more efficient than the baseline. Like I, I'm not really worried about Higgins. Uh, just kind of riding the wave of the Clemson offense I think the Clemson offense was largely so good because he was a part of it Um, the question is is he a 4-6 kind of athlete at 6-4-2-15 or is is he maybe something I I don't want to put any like I have no particular expectation and I certainly don't want to like feed any unfair ones but if he would for instance run better than a 4-5 that's the kind of thing that takes him from the late first in my mind to the top 15 something like that uh the bigger you are the less pressure you have on on performing well at the at the combine but if you perform well at the combine and you're one of the biggest receivers in the draft and your production was awesome each of your three years at clemson it's kind of hard at that point to argue against him as a wide receiver one sort of prospect it's like what is there to criticize him about uh so i don't know what to expect reasonably from his workout numbers but i'm leaving open the possibility that he's not going to get the kind of athleticism grade that i'm taking the liberty of assuming in the case of jalen rager because we have the feldman numbers with him uh henry ruggs it's just like it's it's stupid how fast he looks on tape <laughs> yeah, right uh so I, i'm just not worried about him running a four if he runs like a four four five or something i will 
probably just die. Like I don't. I would be shocked if he runs rugs. Yeah. yeah. Like I, I'm expecting like at worst a four three eight or something like I that. I mean, they, like the four four five would have to happen with like a weighted vest on or something. Yeah. If, <laughs> if they were if they were like birds flying down <laughs> to attack him in the middle of the forty, he might not break a four four five. But if there are no birds. There's no bats, whatever it is, flying at him. I don't think we have to worry about that. It's uh, they, uh, unless they keep the roof open. Well, sometimes it's like you're in airports, you know, and there's birds flying oh, around. Yeah, yeah. So I didn't know if that was a risk at the the RCA dome or whether they, wherever they have the combine, the Lucas uh, Oil, now. the Lucas Oil, <laughs> yeah, the RCA dome. Uh, and aside, worst stadium I ever went to. Yes, yeah, so like there, were, there are probably hazard. birds in there. Maybe they'll oh, yeah. make their way into the new one. I don't know. Um, <laughs> but anyway, if they if they leave him alone, if they don't collide with him, if he doesn't Randy Johnson a bird while he's running the forty yard dash, that is what would happen. Yeah, if he doesn't Randy Johnson, <laughs> he still might break the four three threshold. Even if he's uh, three birds, I think it would take to keep him uh, from from running worse than a four four flat. Uh, but in any case, that's just like I, I feel comfortable assuming that in in Ruggs's case and Rager's case with Higgins. I'm, I feel like there's a little bit more unknown, but I'm, I'm not worried. It's just the question is how high can he reach? Wait, so some of my notes on on Higgins, like yeah, the speed, w- the the long speed that we'll have to get the the numbers on at the combine that will be a big factor there. I remember that was a, a huge factor when when it came to Mike Williams and he didn't run at the combine, so that kind of fueled uh, some of his, the long speed speculation with him. But with Higgins, for being as big as he is, he has like really impressive start stop ability to me. Yeah. Like like his routes are really really crisp. His like functional he, athleticism is not something that I worry about. Yeah, so so that looks really strong to me. Um, I think he can get up and obviously uh, being as big as he is to begin with is going to make him a threat in the red zone or deep down the field uh, that type of thing uh, he's got a he's like a good hands catcher too I know it's just yeah. optics but like he's got really solid hands I, I know that sometimes and he got clobbered in that Ohio State game so he didn't play as well as we're used to seeing uh, but he had this hot streak I, I want to pull this up real quick a five game uh, heater uh, during like the mid to late part of this season so basically from like the end of October uh, up through the ACC championship game 32 targets 25 catches 494 yards that's 15.4 yards per target and 10 touchdowns in that span that's what like that's when he was just like taking over college football and that's when like Clemson had officially awake like awakened from be, it's like early season slumber he I think he like almost single-handedly brought him out of that yeah I'll put it this way uh, as much as I might might be sounding kind of cautious about T Higgins. You do. I never I never accepted the assumption that Justin Ross was better than him and I on some level believe like I, I kind of believe Higgins is better as a prospect than Mike Williams was. And uh, That's fair. I, I know that Mike Williams has been good in the NFL and I know he was a seventh overall pick, but I, I'm just kind of skeptical that Mike Williams was worth more than like the 20th, 25th pick or something like that. Uh, we'll see how, I mean, he's, he's got a lot of time in his career and Keenan Allen steals a lot of opportunities from him. But in any case, uh, I am totally open to the suggestion that T Higgins is better than Justin Ross, who a lot of people were saying was the top overall dynasty prospect as of like six months ago or something. You're just subtweeting me right now. Oh, that was you? <laughs> yeah. Sorry. No, I mean, don't get me wrong. I had Ross at like three. Yeah. <laughs> so it's not as if I was uh, – and I know I don't mean to be at all uh, critical of Justin Ross. He he could be awesome too, but it's just one of those – He definitely didn't me, have a good year though. For me though, it's one of those things like I am not 
particularly willing to believe that Ross is great and Higgins is not. Like I, I kind of am, I'm more likely to to believe that they're kind of in the same boat, whatever boat it is. Got it. Uh, but yeah, I, I definitely don't mean to deny the possibility that Higgins can test really well at the combine. It's just like it was so easy for him at times at Clemson. It, there weren't many scenarios where he just had to let it rip, you know. Like and he'll do that at the combine, and that's when you find out how fast guys really are and how high they can really jump because it's it's just. Uh, not to say they're put in similar situations like that on the real field, but uh, you know that they don't end up in situations like that in the real field makes it hard to guess by the tape how fast they actually are. So um, if he ran like again, if he runs like a four four seven or something, and he's six three two twenty, that's the kind of thing that could put him in the conversation uh, of wide receiver one, like the first one. Like if 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 he weighs uh, if, if he if he weighs you know 25 pounds more than cd lamb and has the same 40 time that's going to make me have to seriously consider things yeah and you know maybe maybe this will help frame what or give an idea of what the what the speed ends up looking like Uh, his touchdown run against lsu in the national championship game that's him in the open field that's him also trucking over one of the lsu corners on his way to the end zone so i mean that was an impressive run i so that that kind of thing can, leads to me being optimistic that he runs a good 40 when you adjust for his size yeah i expect him to run and jump well for his size certainly it's just like a i, f- I feel like with judy and lamb being the kind of quality prospects they are or at least what i'm assuming they are pending the workout metrics, so he needs it's a high like, bar yeah exactly yeah there's a ton of competition like you said at, at, at running back and receiver both in this draft but uh, i would say there's even more at receiver probably uh it, but higgins is one of those guys it's it's like, log he's not too. the favorite right now but it would be foolish to rule out the chance of him being the best one absolutely all right let's move on over to a receiver in a very very different genre we were just talking about him with the birds a few minutes ago there but uh henry ruggs let's go yeah so uh i i have no data like i have no feldman case as to why you know we would expect a 4-2 or whatever from rugs it's just the tape that i'm basing it on but when you turn on the tape and you watch him run even if you put it up against tape of like john ross or Mecole hardman or rager or whoever else it's like rugs looks a couple steps faster for some reason that might be optical illusion in some sense because uh you know the faster your feet are moving on tape the faster you look so you can have some guys who are actually fast faster than whoever the alternative is but if they have longer strides it might not look that way and uh rugs is one of those guys he's got fast feet maybe that's playing into it a little bit but man he j- it, it reminds me of uh ted ginn at ohio state when i when i watch some of these specifically when he has the ball in the open field and i i, I think he's a much better prospect than ted ginn who went i think ninth overall in his mm-hmm. draft probably should have gone something like 25th to 40th in his draft with rugs i am not one of these people who holds the market share numbers against him at alabama i do not penalize him even a little bit for being for having less volume uh than Devonte smith and jerry judy because it's kind of like the terry mclaurin thing at ohio state like do you if, as long as the guy is efficient on a per target basis which both mclaurin and rugs were you have to be prepared to abandon the market share criticism when the other people in the rotation are as good as Jalen Waddle, Jerry Judy, Devonte Smith are. Just as in Ohio State's case, we should have been like, "Yeah, well, what the hell is he going to do anyway?" More than he did when there's Paris Campbell and uh, Johnny Dixon or whatever, and KJ Hill, I guess. Yeah, market uh, share is not the way to evaluate. I think sometimes it's Bama insightful, guys. but you just have not to for adjust. these Bama guys. Yeah, you just have to keep in mind the actual competition in the offense. Like if it's trash in the in the offense and the guys. 
getting 18% target like share. Like, Ra- yeah, yeah, that's if Rager's was bad, then it'd be a bigger issue. Right. So um, in any case, with Ruggs, it's like if he had not been so explosive on a per-target basis, then I'd, I'd be prepared to say, like, yeah, he's a workout warrior, whatever. But 13 yards a target this year. 13 yards a target. Uh, and, and, like, last year he was over 10 yards a target. His freshman year he was over 10 yards a target. Uh, I'm trying to actually run the uh, reception totals to, to catch ch- to check his – uh, catch percentage and it looks like it was 66.2 um and again in each case it was it was well over 10 yards a target so that's his that's his three years that's including even his true freshman year um and so that's that's like right i guess about at the baseline of uh tua's sort of production uh so i'm that's i would need him to be above that baseline to to put him in that kind of top tier but would you uh, adjust thinking like you know a lot of his routes further down the field type of thing though oh they are a lot of them are not all of them are because you, you'll you see some, some of his best plays are on slants too mm-hmm. like he'll just catch it and then uh, oh i'm i'm ADD. The, the south carolina game the slant in that one yeah i'm, I'm uh, add and i forgot to finish my ted ginn thought but uh it, it looked the same in ted ginn's tape as to like when he would catch a pass and he would hit fast forward and it wasn't just that it seemed like he would hit fast forward and everyone else would slow down too like it didn't just look like the guy running away from other fast people it's like for some reason everybody else looks slow now and this guy keeps looking faster and faster as the play goes and everyone else looks like they're in quicksand and that happens with rugs so many times he has to run like a 428 at worst like it, it it just doesn't make any sense otherwise okay so we have the speed element down we have the catch rate down the the impressive per target numbers there so i would say only tyree kill is the faster receiver in the nfl next year than uh whatever rugs is okay so with, with all of that in mind where do you expect him to go what do what do you think his like ceiling looks like do you have a comp or anything like that for him i don't really have a comp but uh Ben Albright, for what it's worth, is he's one of the more plugged in NFL reporters. I don't believe he meant I don't believe he meant to say that he had any information indicating this. It was more like his kind of reasoning personally, I think. Um, but he said he would be very surprised if Ruggs made it past the fifteenth pick. I know that off the top of my head, a lot of people have mocked him to Denver, which could make sense because he's he's certainly a sharp contrast to Cortland Sutton and that kind of speed excuse me, will create more room for Cortland Sutton uh, to, to operate where, where he does in his high volume role. And it's like then in a role like that, rugs could be productive, even if he's not making catches specifically. So that makes a lot of sense. So what would you what would you make of him versus John Ross coming out? Because um, Ross's insane combine, you know, the four two two that vaulted him into being a top 10 pick. Right, it did. Uh, Ross was a much more high volume producer at Washington that one year he didn't get hurt. And like even before he got hurt uh, at a younger age at Washington, he, he would get off to fast starts and then he'd get hurt. Uh, so it's not like he f- he was not a one year wonder or anything. Um, the only thing that he had worse than rugs was the, the, the durability uh but uh yeah i don't also it's worth recalling i think that it was a surprise when john ross went ninth overall i think even after the 422 people were thinking more like 20th or something like i I remember being like oh man the Bengals!" like i remember (laughs) just i remember not being particularly ready for that um so rugs could also go top 10 for all i know even though we're not really expecting it uh I just I don't know if I expect him to run a four two two specifically because okay. Ross, uh, there's it, it's useful to to look at workout numbers and, and the forty that includes the forty, but 
the 40 more than any other one is one where if the guy has a track background uh or at least if the guy is is not track backgrounded he might suffer uniquely for it so you can't take away a 422 from john ross but if rugs runs like a 438 I'm still not 100% sold that he's actually slower than Ross because it's like he might just not know how to do the track form as well. Um, so, yeah, you got some guys who run lower than they actually are on the field, uh, on field speed. Um, but, yeah, it's, it, I don't believe in uh, the idea that, like, if you run a 4-2-2, you might actually be not as fast as the guy who you know ran the 4-4. Uh, Ross really is that fast, it's, and I, I don't want to say Ruggs can run a 4-2 flat or a 4-2-1, but... Um, as long as he runs a four two five, I think I will choose to believe he's even faster on the field than Ross is. He's definitely more of a – this could just be because he had it so easy at Alabama. But one thing I will say about Ruggs is he seems to cut loose faster than Ross does. Like Ross always has been a guy who looks like he's thinking a little bit on the field. Ruggs doesn't seem to, and maybe that's because he doesn't have to. Maybe he'll have to for the first time in the NFL, and he'll all of a sudden look slower. I don't yeah, know. there's the famous anecdote that like the Bama receivers would like pl- literally like play rock paper scissors for what route they were going to run, and oh. then just go ahead and do it. Yeah, uh, I don't know if I I don't know what to make of that. That's a, kind of a weird story. I, I think Nick Saban might be mad about that. Well, but, probably um, uh, my secret all this all these years. But yeah, that means uh, <laughs> that means that rugs unless they were specifically competing for the chance to just go deep all the time. It's like I don't know if Judy was actually losing, and that's why he like Judy. You got to run the route that's going to get open in a, sp- a split second, and we'll take these ones that. Uh, you know, are 40 yards downfield because that's just cooler. <laughs> I don't know if that's why the, the workload split the way it did. Um, but yeah, maybe maybe Ruggs is kind of like Michael Bluth where he just always picks rock or something and he always got lo- stuck with like the, the one that we're not going to throw to on this play. I don't know. <laughs> well, yeah, uh, we'll have to do a deeper dive into that. Um, let's move on to the next tier. I, I guess uh, say your piece about Devin Duvernay and then we'll move on. Uh, he's see, he was someone that I would have had open uh, I would have been open to the idea of him being like the top overall receiver because uh, he had only one year of dominant production at Texas and it was when he was a senior but I think it was explained not by his age uh, but because he was moved basically to a different position like they were using him as a kind of more of the Henry Ruggs of the offense, I guess, like running deep. Uh, they had Lil Jordan Humphrey playing the slot position that got so many targets. Sam Ellinger, not great at hitting the deep ball. Oh, my God. When I watched Texas, I was watching some Colin Johnson tape yesterday because uh, he's the other Sorry Texas receiver. Uh, he was actually better than I expected okay. him to be. But, man, I hate the Ellinger offense. That guy is just horrible to watch. It is, And I know the numbers aren't even that bad, but it's like infuriating to watch how aesthetically disgusting the <laughs> Sam Ellinger offense is. <laughs> Um, but in any case, uh, Duvernay had actually got off to a fast start his true freshman year, and then he kind of just faded into the background for two years until last year when they moved him from outside into the slot, and he just killed everyone. Like, he was just murderously good in the slot. Um, I think he was pushing like 80% of his targets were caught this year. Uh, 106 of 130 targets caught for 1,386 yards. That's insane production, and he has the kind of speed at, at 5'11", 200-plus pounds, he has the kind of speed that should register in the mid 4-3 range at the combine. And if you have that kind of speed on that kind of frame, and especially if you have the kind of production that he does, I just don't even really care if you have an uneven skill set or if you if you don't have like a fully full dimensioned skill set because he doesn't when you're that fast, you don't even need to be that good at receiver stuff, uh, especially when you're at that kind of weight cuz being over 200 and being 4-3-5 or better 
would just be highly uncommon athleticism. And it would, I think kind of be a little bit analogous to uh, how Debo Samuel um, being two ten plus having the, the low four five or whatever he does. I don't even think you need to be that skilled at receiver to, to, to like stand out at certain tasks so well, because it's just uh, when you're that fast and you're that dense, it's just hard to defend someone like that. No matter what they're doing, it just kind of sucks because they hit you harder than you hit them and they're faster than you. Yeah. I mean, like, so there, there's a lot to unpack there because I think you like summed it up so well. I think that the the hands are really, really strong and obviously like playing out of the slot helps your catch rate. But, you know, like you said, uh, the 106 catches on 130 targets, uh, by my count, that's only one of three players this past season that had at least 100 catches on 140 or fewer targets. So that's pretty, you know, 81.5% catch rate at 10 plus yards a target. That's something that I can, I'll just say that had only happened this year. Otherwise in the LSU offense, that was yep, so Justin, stupid. Justin Jefferson was one of them and, and Michael Pittman from USC would be oh, the, Michael Pittman would, even. Okay. Yeah. So, um, so there's that. And then, uh, I'm watching the, this gift that I put in the senior bowl, um, article of him catching a slant over the middle against LSU and like he could have gotten easily pan like just destroyed by two LSU defenders but uh braces for contact gets through it and then just hits a gear that no one else is gonna like come close to catching him see yeah he has he has the density to stand up against whatever bigger corners there might be against him but playing from the slot you usually you will more often than on the outside have corners who are small and slow because they have better quickness than these guys who are six one six two and run the four three generally speaking so that's why you see so many slot corners so many nickel corners going back however far you want to in nfl history who are kind of like five foot nine 180 and they only run a four six but they're still pretty good and it's because they they are meant to be able to cover like all three directions they want to be able to cover the uh, like the curl to the left the curl to the right the slant either direction uh the curl in the middle of the field and sacrificing size and speed for quickness makes sense there not if you're running against Devin Duvernay, though. If he's running a four three five and he's got 15 pounds on your slot corner, you're just in trouble now because that guy cannot run with him even a little bit. And that quickness that you sacrifice the speed and the size for is also negated by like how big he is. He can run over this guy. Uh, if you put a 5'9", 180 corner on Devin Duvernay so he doesn't uh, just you know kill you kill you with slants all day he might just take a curl and break the tackle and then you still have the same problem no one can catch him now yep so uh, he's someone that I feel like isn't quite getting the, the national uh, buzz that he deserves like I would prefer him over Justin Jefferson among oh, like, these sure. slot receivers yeah I have Duverney in my uh, third tier the, the which is the second tier as far as receivers go I have him in the same tier as T Higgins Henry Ruggs Jalen Rager uh, last among them but in that same tier, and I, I know for a fact I'm much higher on him than most people, so maybe maybe I'm wrong here, but I think by the time the combine happens, people are going to be like, oh, crap, this guy's like got the you know top three size-adjusted speed going back, whatever, the, the entire history of the combine. And now that we look at his tape again, like he catches the ball pretty well, too, and now we can't really think of what reason we have to not like him. Exactly. So look for him to be a riser come combine time. Uh, let's get into that next tier of receivers. We got LaVisca Chenault, we got Brian Edwards, and then uh, Brake, and then Tyler Johnson, KJ Hamler, Quintez Cephas, Justin Jefferson. Yeah, so Chenault is especially a guy that most people will have ahead of Devin DuVernay, and maybe also even Ruggs, Higgins, and Rager. Uh, Chenault is a guy who would have had much higher, much more hype um, back in August or something, because he had a down year. Yeah, if he had the 2018 season, this 
past season, then I think he'd be in that first round conversation. But it's it's flipped, and when you when your last or most recent season is a pretty distinct drop off of where you were, even if it's not necessarily a big drop off on a per target basis still something that's going to get a knock against you I think yeah and he's had injury issues and I want to say all three of his seasons at Colorado he missed or he only played nine games in 2018 he only played 11 last year and in the 2018 case it's it's a little more understandable because they were basically uh they were making him like Jamal Anderson the wide receiver like they were just they would make him get so many targets so many carries per game that it was like I'm I feel like he, they're violating some sort of labor law at this point by by making him work this much and, um, and that coach got fired yeah so he caught 86 passes in nine games and he also had 17 carries in those nine games uh last year he only had 56 catches in 11 games he was still pretty good on a per target basis like he was good on a per target basis um and he still made an impact on the ground he had 23 carries for 161 yards and two touchdowns listed at 6 220 if Chenault tests at an above average rate at the combine, I'm prepared to move him way up in the rankings. But in the meantime, I don't think he shows obvious athleticism on tape. Uh, er, sorry, he doesn't show obvious like top grade athleticism on tape. And I don't have the workout numbers like we do with Rager and Devin DuVernay. Uh, DuVernay has some kind of track background that that's another reason why I'm like, I'm totally sure pretty much he'll run a four, four flat at worst. Um, but in, in Chenault's case, uh i I at least have not been able to find any numbers reported on him so uh if the tape doesn't make you look obviously fast and you don't have like feldman reporting certain numbers i'm going to kind of keep an incomplete in that grade and the combine will fill in whatever the variable will be but in the meantime i have to give him an incomplete there which in the context of his durability troubles keeps him outside of those first couple tiers at receiver for me but i'm anxious about it i'm and i'm totally willing to move him up depending on what happens at the combine i thought you know like you said it's it's hard to know without the feldman or like the you know that obvious uh burst on tape but to me like i'm worried that he runs like a high four five like maybe up to a four six and at that point you know that's gonna be tough my nightmare scenario with him is something like a treadwell kind of case because like i remember treadwell catching a ton of passes underneath at mississippi early on in his career and then he, he ran the four six five or whatever it was to be clear i am not expecting that from chenault but it's not like i saw it ahead of time with treadwell either so uh leaving with that ambiguity there there's there's simply there's simply more ways that something can go wrong when we when we don't have like confirmed details uh so for for that reason i I put him in the next tier but uh, i am anxious about it and people who are very smart at evaluating prospects that i know of are are very high on chenault and uh we'll we'll see i'm I'm hoping the combine can kind of just settle this for me Uh, but in the meantime i'm putting him underneath the guys like duvernay and rugs and rager who we know can burn and higgins who had uh you know multiple years of of top shelf production without any durability concerns uh you could you could argue to me and i wouldn't argue against it if it's saying like he should be in the same category as higgins it's like yeah i don't feel strongly against that uh, but that's these trivial things are why i'm breaking the tie to chenault's detriment okay and then let's move on over to brian edwards uh yeah so we a little taller than chenault not as densely built not the kind of athlete that guys like chenault higgins duvernay whoever like edwards is the first guy in my wide receiver rankings where i'm prepared to just kind of assume he's at most an average athlete uh certainly in terms of speed he might be surprisingly quick and surprisingly good acceleration for a guy of his build because one thing when you when you watch the brian edwards tape um i think you only really see this with michael thomas otherwise but it's like he never looks fast but guys keep kind of getting twisted around trying to cover him like he gets 
very clean releases. Maybe he gets better releases against press coverage than anyone in this draft. Um, but it's also one of those things. Well, he needs to if he's going to be running a four six or something. It's like you need to be as good as Michael Thomas is at running routes if you want to be as productive as Michael Thomas when you're as slow as Michael Thomas. And normally, as a general rule, being that slow is not a good thing. You know, or it, it, more specifically, being that slow is normally like the kind of thing that complicates your projection from college to the pros like guys win in the in the college all the time that's the whole reason why we even take a look at them in the first place and yet not many of them overall succeed in the nfl a lot of the times if not most of the times it's because they don't have the physical tools to win the same ways that they did in college where people were less athletic and uh that's a risk with a guy like edwards if he doesn't test well but I really think he's polished and I think you can see like the innate talent just playing wide receiver and the fact that he got on the field as a true freshman at South Carolina was pretty productive. And also uh, two years ago, he basically, he had, he had not as many touchdowns as Debo Samuel, but was basically the same receiving yardage wise as Debo Samuel and Debo Samuel is like two and a half years older than him or two years older than him, something like that. So if Debo is as good as he is and he looks as good as he is uh, Edwards, has to be good at something almost like because what are the odds that they that they they stay at the same baseline in the same offense you know they're there at the same time uh edwards at an age disadvantage i don't know i feel like he's he's got to be good uh i think he's only a possession receiver but i think he can be the kind of possession receiver who goes over 100 catches in the nfl if he's in the right offense yeah great definitely has the great hands um i do worry about the the overall athleticism there and and you know it's interesting the way the way you framed it where i thought like on tape like you said the the burst off the line didn't look good but and yet he was always creating that separation so it's it's hard to like really conflate it and and get the you know is it is it just his route running is it something that will catch up to him at, at the pro level i, I mean it's getting impossible clean, to know yeah the release is a big part of the nfl puzzle because basically you never get press coverage or not much press coverage in college football because they run a lot of zone coverages and the hashes being wide puts the defenses in these weird positions that they're not in in the nfl and they try to cover the resulting open field with zones that don't afford the defense press coverage and then when you get to the nfl there's a ton more press coverage and if you can't get out of that jam like really really quick and into your route really quick if you can't present a target as quickly as possible you might get open in the college terms but you're still taking three and a half seconds and the quarterback's either gotten rid of the ball or gotten not looking to, yeah not looking to your part of the field i will say like it's not that Diggs won every single one of these matchups but in the alabama game this year trevon Diggs, i mean um there were some times where it looked like edwards was having trouble uh, with the press coverage i know that there's some anecdotal evidence to the contrary there i know that edwards got the best of him at least a couple times there but i thought that Diggs uh did kind of frustrate edwards in in like the press coverage in a way that most other corners didn't uh yeah maybe i for whatever it's worth though i still feel like in, in edwards's tape he he's like more effortless at getting clean releases than pretty much anyone that i've noticed and that might just be because he's the only one who actually gets press coverage in his tape um but he he, he constantly gets these guys who are supposed to be more athletic than him kind of just chasing ghosts and uh he he doesn't stay open for long they catch up with him because they have the recovery speed to catch up but in the nfl it's like thomas like they would catch up with him too if he was running conventional routes and he had a conventional quarterback but it's like breeze always gets rid of the ball in under two seconds so that the fact that he only is open for a half a second never matters because it's like it's always going there and breeze always puts it on target so um that's asking a lot you know you can't expect drew breeze to be available to whichever uh rookie receiver you're invested in 
But if he ends, if Brian Edwards ends up in a, or even like the Rams offense, I feel like he would work well, work well in um, just something where uh, the quarterback is kind of like quick release oriented and, and uh, ideally something where there's another number one, or at least some, some fast receiver on the field to keep the safeties from creeping up too much because it's like, yeah, if, if Edwards is getting double bracketed every single play, I don't really want to have high hopes for him. But if he's the, the second most feared receiver in an offense with a good quarterback i think he could lead that team in receptions probably only averaging like 11 yards a catch or something like that but i I do think in ppr scoring especially brian edwards could hold surprisingly high fantasy upside okay all right let's move on we got three more guys uh for today's episode uh we got tyler johnson kj hamler oh four more um quintez cephas and justin jefferson so let's run through these guys quickly starting with uh johnson yeah, uh, with Johnson, I, I just don't know what more he could have done to prove himself at, at, at Minnesota. He was really productive early on in his uh, Minnesota career, which were his first and second seasons playing receiver at all because uh, he, he was a, co- uh, a high school quarterback. Uh, so playing a new position in an offense that didn't throw the ball that much. Tyler Johnson is one of those cases where the, the high market share does mean something to me um and he yeah they were trash receivers at minnesota but it's meaningful because he came through exactly the way you would expect someone much better than his teammates to like he was get, getting like half almost of the market share stuff in those first two years and then last year yeah rashad bateman was there and he's really good but he is probably really good so that tyler johnson didn't have like a 40 percent market share doesn't matter it was still 38.1 so it was oh, still yeah, really good realize it was that yeah <laughs> that's so still, it was still okay, ridiculous a, that's still quite high and b he was high volume high efficiency too yep. so it's like what the hell about is 10 targets a game 11 yards per target he might not test that great or something but the senior bowl morons who didn't invite him are just buffoons like there is no way that tyler johnson is worse than someone like chase claypool or denzel mims or whoever they had i don't think there was a single well, i guess brian edwards i have ranked ahead of tyler johnson but that's largely because he was invited to the senior bowl and tyler johnson wasn't so i'm prepared for nfl coaches nfl scouts to kind of like marginalize tyler johnson not take him as seriously as they should but i think he's shown that he is the real deal and that they are wrong and he will prove them wrong uh, even though they'll they'll marginalize him at the outset but yeah if i had an assurance that tyler johnson would go in the second round i would probably actually rank him right behind chenault and ahead of edwards perhaps even because he was he was more productive in college yeah um you know that last game against auburn putting a nice like cherry on top for his college career just you know eviscerated that auburn defense it was pretty well renowned all, all season i but, think tyler johnson looks to me kind of like a faster tyler boyd like boyd only ran like a four six or something he still went in the third round i'm expecting something like that with tyler johnson he goes in the third round like that. and a bunch of teams say like we don't want him he's too slow or something and then he gets in training camp as a rookie and the team's like actually he's our second best receiver thank <laughs> yeah. you uh, yeah so uh hopefully he gets that trajectory because I, I like tyler johnson as well let's get on to kj hamler someone who going into this uh, process i expected to feel a lot better about than i do right now I, i'm agnostic I, but yeah i have some concerns like okay so starting off like we knew that he was small coming into this i mean yeah. 5'9 176 uh, so he's one of those guys where uh you know he relies on speed uh, because it, because the you know the side the frame isn't all all there so like if five nine one seventy five or something five nine one seventy six so yeah. if if he you know adds a bunch of weight to like kind of just be able to stay on the field at the NFL level does he lose that speed variable and does that end up you know sapping his overall effectiveness and I I thought that I would see a lot more 
uh, exciting stuff on tape than, than I really did from him. He kind of like is slower off the line than he should be um, for a guy his size and a guy as renowned for his quicks as he is. So there, there are just some odd things about his, his tape that I, I'm going to continue to look a little bit deeper into this. I, I, you know, I think the one that I've mainly watched from this past year uh, in terms of the game breakdown was the Minnesota game. Um, so we'll, we'll have to see what else I see from that. But the fact that he didn't crush them in that game, it, it's a bit of a, a red flag, or at least a starting point of a little bit of skepticism that, you know, especially with some other things uh, thrown in. Yeah, and some of it might be not his fault. Like the quarterbacks, even Trace McSorley, uh, the Penn State quarterbacks aren't exactly like killer downfield passers. So I don't know if he. I don't know if he had gotten open often downfield if it would have mattered that much but the tape that I looked at he was pretty much reduced to being like an after the catch guy who catches a slant and then he's too fast for everybody to catch and there's there's something there like that's that's sure. something to work with when you have that kind of speed and when you produce the way he did on a per target basis but we just don't have evidence of him like beating presses at the line of scrimmage or like losing guys on sophisticated routes down the field he might be capable of all of that but we don't know that he is. And some of these other guys have demonstrated more as far as that goes. And, and you know, a guy like Duvernay, he's probably the same speed as KJ Hamler. KJ Hamler is still a burner, but that 25 pounds matters. And it, being the 4-3 guy at 200 is a lot more valuable than being the 4-3 guy at 178 or something like that. Um, not to call Andy Isabella a bust, because I don't think he is one, but uh, it's a really thin line between like an mm-hmm. Andy Isabella and a T.Y. Hilton. And the T.Y. Hilton possibility is still there for Hamler. It's just that the bad case scenario is also totally possible, and I think uh, more possible than the bad case scenarios of basically everybody that we've named so far. Yeah, no, that's a, that's a really good way of framing it. Uh, let's get on to Quintez Cephas. I just haven't done the, the work yet, I think, on him to... Um, confidently agree or disagree with you one way or the other i think that i i've fallen into the wisconsin he's a wisconsin receiver type of type of uh yeah labeling of him but i don't on. know how he'll test and uh, the thing with him is it's going to be the character question and i don't know if he'll be invited to the combine for the thing that he was accused of and acquitted of um the thing that he was accused of bad bad as alleged very spurious evidence that anything particularly happened uh it's 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 bad as described certainly but again he was acquitted he's insisted his innocence all along uh he stayed in wisconsin the whole year that he was suspended from the team and litigating this thing uh came back to the team after not training with them up until like two weeks before the season was immediately their wide receiver one upon returning and this is what it comes down to for me for cephas is like i don't know what kind of way he's going to test the combine I think we have reason to believe it'll be no worse than average, but probably not much more than average. But at, he'll probably be like six foot two oh five, six foot two ten, something like that. That's good density. That's good. That's good for projecting against the press in the NFL. And then I'm I'm kind of just deferring to his production after that because at Wisconsin in the 2017, which was his true sophomore season, and then 2019 his true senior one. Um, or sorry red shirt junior i guess but because he had that one year chronologically it would have been a senior yeah age wise it's his fourth um 2017 and 2019 between the two of them wisconsin completed two-thirds precisely of their passes at 8.1 yards per pass cephas led both of those teams in receiving production and i think in the 2017 case he might have been at an age disadvantage from a couple of the next leading receivers i can't remember but 66.6% completed at 8.1 yards per pass for Wisconsin over 2017 and 2019. CFS led them in volume by an emphatic 
uh, distance, and he caught 66.9% of those targets to him at 10.5 yards per target. So he exceeded the completion percentage of that team, and he exceeded the yards per pass by two and a half, 2.4 yards per attempt. That's impressive. While also leading them in volume in an emphatic way. So that's one of those things. Where, like I don't even really ask myself the question anymore of like how athletic do I think he is. It's like he's talented at playing receiver. That's the only way you can produce like that. Sure. Yeah, no, that's a that's a really good way of framing it. So uh, we'll, we'll have to see. And again, I, I think you bring up the good point that there's no buzz that he's going to be like this insane athlete at, at the combine. If he just like, you know, doesn't tank it, I think that there there's enough probably on his film and in that production profile uh, for a team to, you know, talk themselves into him as pre- what, probably like a fourth rounder, a third round. Late I th- third? If, if they're not concerned about his character, I think the second round is totally in play. Okay. I, I don't think he'll embarrass himself with the athletic testing. And in fact, I kind of have to be optimistic because I don't know how let's, that's a big margin with which to outplay your team's baseline as the leading volume guy to, to both carry the offense and make the rest of your offense look bad doing it on an efficiency basis. Normally you have a, you, you do, you lose the efficiency with the volume and he just seemed to get better with it. Okay. All right. So that's, all right, I'm going to have to take a second look here at, at him for sure. And then uh, let's round things out with LSU's Justin Jefferson. Yeah, I'm, I'm agnostic on him, but when I turned on the tape, uh, I just didn't see anything stand out. He played a lot of slot for LSU. He caught the passes that went his way. He was super, super efficient, and uh, you know he's not going to drop the ball. And if, if you know playing in the slot, he might work there in the NFL too because it's, it's generally easier to be a good slot receiver than it is a standout outside receiver. But uh, the guy, was he a walk-on or just like a... He was like a two-star. Okay, yeah. So he he looks as unathletic as you would expect someone with that recruiting background. And then he's also skinny. So he's like listed under 190 at 6'3". If if you're as skinny as Robbie Anderson at 6'3", you know, 180, 190 or whatever, you need to be Robbie Anderson fast to to make up for it and when you watch justin jefferson i would sooner bet he runs a four six than a four five uh not to condemn him to a four six he could be better than that it's just if if i had to choose between the two i'd say four six and he's also skinny so all he has going for him is his production which is great it's great production but he looks like a fourth round pick to me yeah i think yeah i think he'll he'll be fine if he gets on the field in the nfl but like i I don't think there's anyone needs to like pound the table for him and i know it's it's hard to look at the this past year's production where he catches 102 out of 122 targets for like 1400 yards uh and say like th- this guy is anything less than than a starting receiver but you got to look a little bit deeper at it and i'm not overly hands. impressed yeah he showed hands and that's it he could maybe do more but he never was asked to so we don't know i'm already regretting ranking him ahead of uh, antonio gandy golden and uh, isaiah hodgins and maybe even gabriel davis yeah so i saw that you uh, bumped up gabriel davis yeah that's uh he's he's in the tier after this we'll have to get to him in another episode but uh yeah i'm already like i, I ranked justin jefferson 19th in my top 60 that i posted yesterday and i'm already like I already feel like a coward. I'm like, <laughs> these are the things that I that contribute to my insomnia is spending a lot of time thinking like, ah, why did I rank Justin Jefferson 19th? He should have been 26th. Um, so that's why I'm in a bad mood. <laughs> but we love you for that kind of neuroticism, dude. So keep it up. I don't uh, and- recommend it uh, <laughs> as anyone's doctor. I don't think you should try it. It's bad. <laughs> But yes, you can you can catch all of Mario's uh, rankings up on the website. Um, that's the lead one, I think, on the or it's up there on the front page for the uh, 
NFL section. It's in the Dynasty Watch uh, subgroup articles. Yes. Um, so top- which is where you should go for all your Dynasty whatever stuff. Absolutely. Yep. And that's in the top 60. Jerry Donabedian just uh, hit, had his first entry into that today, uh, talking about the early risers and fallers. And then if you want to get a head start on guys that we'll be talking about from a, di- from a Dynasty perspective in a couple of years from now, I just posted like 4,000 words on si- on the signing day. Oh, my God. That's uh, a lot of words. It was too many. Um admittedly for kids that haven't played a single down of college football yet but that's up on the college football section i broke down some guys that are going to be impact freshmen uh i got to bash on the the schools that had terrible recruiting classes i really went in on usc for a while went in on kevin sumlin uh also went in on justin fuente of of virginia tech and gave some props uh to some schools that outperformed my expectations georgia tech looks like they actually have something to look forward to potentially uh with jeff collins so maybe so keep an eye. Uh, they have a real, as Mecole said, they they just yeah, had just a, got a real offense. Yeah, he just got a real offense like a year ago. Give it time. Give it time, folks. But the, this kid Jameer Gibbs, uh, even Florida tried to get him and uh, they couldn't. So I think he's going to be really good. Uh, last year we we called guys like Sam Howell and. and um, uh, Brees Hall and, and George Pickens from that article. So hopefully we can we can hit on some of those and, and uh, have a little bit less John Emery's. But anyway, that's going to wrap things up uh, for today's for this week's edition of the RotoWire NFL podcast. We'll be back again next week talking a little bit more receivers. Stay tuned. class athlete or a podcaster like me we all understand the importance of mental and physical well-being and proper recovery for top-notch performance that's why i'm excited that unified healing is sponsoring this podcast unified healing is a new and super innovative global network of wellness centers powered by energy enhancement system or ee system if you haven't heard of the ee system you'll want to listen up this technology promotes wellness deep relaxation purification and rejuvenation at hundreds of locations across the globe Access to a center is easy and affordable. Interested in experiencing the EE system technology for yourself? Go to unifiedhealing.com slash bluewire to learn more and find a center near you. That's U-N-I-F-Y-D healing.com slash bluewire. No material or testimonials on the Unified Healing website are intended to be viewed as medical advice or a substitute for professional medical advice, diagnosis, or treatment. Always seek the advice of your physician or other qualified healthcare provider with any questions you may have regarding a medical condition or treatment and before undertaking a new healthcare regimen, including EE system.